be reading from the New King James Version, 1 John, verses 1 through 4. That which was formed from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have, have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and de declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Bible tells us that we need to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21. You ever notice there's some things that we don't feel the need to prove? How it is that we just assume that certain things are going to be that way. For example, I don't necessarily feel like I need to prove that the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning. I'm just taking for the fact that all of us are going to be able to get up out of bed in the morning. I take for granted the fact that when I wake up in the morning or even in the middle of the night, my air conditioner is going to be working. I take for granted the fact that uh, we're going to have hot water in our shower in the morning, whatever it is that uh, most of us that take showers uh, are going to do that. We just assume that some things just are. and We never choose to investigate them further. We just kind of uh, make blanket assumptions that everybody knows this is the case. Whenever it is that I talk to uh, preacher students, especially in uh, school of preaching, one of the things that I caution them to do is beware of blanket assumptions. Because sometimes we as Bible class teachers can make that of our young people and say, well, we all know the story of the Good Samaritan, or we all know the story of the prodigal son, when in fact we don't all necessarily know that. And so it is this evening when we look at the subject that we're looking at this evening, and that is the historical Christ. How do we know that Jesus really existed? Is it more along the lines of what the famous infidel Bertrand Russell said in his book, Why I'm Not a Christian? He said, historically, it's quite doubtful as to whether Christ ever existed at all. And if he did, we do not know anything about him. Is that the Jesus that we want to believe in? Is that the Jesus we want to come to know? You say, no, you read about him in the pages of the Bible. That's great. But how do we know Christ really existed? How can we show somebody and say, yes, he was a real, literal, historical character. He wasn't a metaphor for something. He wasn't an imagination, a figment of the imagination of Christians. He was a real person. Do we take that for granted sometimes? I think we do, especially when we talk to our children. But here's the good thing. We're going to call this lesson kind of a faith booster shot. I know that uh, many of us got maybe booster shots when we were children to try and, try and uh, boost our immune system and boost our, our, uh, our um, ability to, to fight off infections and fight off uh, disease and those type of things. But as we look at this evening, this faith booster shot, I want to consider this evening, how do we know Jesus was real? How do we know he was real? What can I point to and say, this is evidence that Christ was a real, literal, historical figure. And I want to look at three different areas this evening before we make our application. The first and 
are going to be the ones we spend the most amount of time on because I believe it's the ones that we know the least about. Some of them, as we get to the third point, we're going to talk about the biblical writers and how it is that they have given us a, a reliable testimony. But what I want to look at first is looking at uh, um, um, the, the non-biblical sources, the, non, uh, the pagan sources, because if Jesus wasn't real, as Charles Anderson said, if Jesus didn't exist, there's no consequences, there's no responsibility. We don't have anyone to whom we're accountable if Christ never really existed. And so with that in mind, I want to start out looking at the testimony of pagan sources about who Jesus is. First person we're going to take a look at is a man by the name of Cornelius Tacitus. Cornelius Tacitus uh, was a historian who lived throughout six different Roman emperors. In fact, he was called by, uh, by his contemporaries and by later scholars the greatest historian of ancient Rome. He was the moral integrity for getting it right when it came to history. You know, a generation or two ago, we might say the same thing about Encyclopedia Britannica, right? Uh, you remember those big, massive volumes of, of, of things that you'd set up on yourself, and you knew that you could find the answer in Encyclopedia Britannica, and generally, more or less, it was going to be right. That's Cornelius Tacitus of the Roman Empire. And as he wrote two books that we're interested in, the first one is Annals, which is uh, from Augustus' death in 14 A.D. until Nero's death in 68 A.D. He wrote the second book, which was called Histories, which was from Nero's death in 68 to Domitian's uh, death in 96. Those are all uh, Roman emperors. But writing about the reign of the emperor Nero, he makes an allusion to the death of Christ and the existence of Christians at Rome. This was referring to the Roman fire in A.D. 64, which it was largely uh, rumored that Nero set, but then he blamed it on the Christians. You remember that? Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And it was that, uh, that Tacitus wrote this. Cornelius Tacitus' book, Hence to suppress the Rome rumor, he, Nero, falsely charged with the guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures, the persons commonly known as Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only in Judea, where the mischief originated, but also throughout the city of Rome also. Note the terms that Tacitus uses to talk about, uh, uh, talk about uh, Jesus. Excuse me. He talks about him being as a notable person. He talks about a person, Christus, the founder of the name. It's not a question about whether or not he existed. He just writes it down as it occurred. You know, what's interesting is, is the only pagan source we have to actually connect Pilate as a governor of Judea is from Tacitus. He's the only one that actually ever names Pilate by name and says he was the governor of, of Judea during the time that, uh, that we're talking about here. That's the only evidence that we ever have that there was a historical man by the name of Pilate. And yet here, Tacitus talks about a man by the name of Jesus. There was a man by the name of Lucian of Samosota. He was a Greek satirist. That is, he wrote uh, kind of uh, biting, cutting remarks towards uh, different groups. In the later second century, later half of the second century, he spoke scornfully about Christ and Christians. But note this, he never argued that they were not real. He says the Christians, you know, worship a man to this day. The distinguished personage who introduced their novel rights was crucified on that account. 
You see these misguided creatures, talking about Christians, start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by the original lawgiver, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ, that they are all brothers. From the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. Note what Lucian talks about with regard to Jesus. He is a distinguished personage. He was crucified. It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver. They worship that crucified sage. You know, of note, Jesus was crucified in the early 30s. And it is that Suetonius wasn't sympathetic. He actually puts Christians in Rome no less than 20 years later. And he reports that they were suffering and dying for the conviction that Jesus really lived that Jesus really died, and as we talked about this morning, Jesus really rose from the grave. Twenty years after, there were Christians dying in Rome for that very testimony. There was a man by the name of, uh, excuse me, Suetonius. Suetonius, 80, 69 to 80, 122. He said, as the Jews were making constant services at the instigation of Christus, he that is Claudius expelled them from Rome. You have that uh, listed in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, how Aquila and Priscilla had to flee from Rome in order to, uh, uh, in order to, uh, to, to escape the, uh, the persecution. That occurred again between sometime uh, between 41 and 53. About the time of the Roman fire in AD 64, he also writes about Christians suffering in this persecution under Nero for this new and this mischievous superstition. There are a number of different writers that we can look at. Another one, testimony of pagan uh, sources, a man by the name of Marabar Serpion. After AD 70, after Jerusalem was destroyed by uh, Titus, he was a Syrian philosopher, and he wrote a letter to his son from prison. And as he's writing this letter to his son from prison, what he has to do is he tries to uh, encourage his son to pursue wisdom. He's a good father, right? You want your child to make wise choices and do wise things, and so... From prison, he's writing these things to his son to talk about them. But note what he does. He compares Jesus to Socrates and Pythagoras. He said, what advantage did the Athenians gain by putting Socrates for death? What advantage did the man of Samus uh, gain from uh, burning Pythagoras? What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after that, this is after 70 AD, that their kingdom was abolished. Socrates did not die for good. He lived on in the teaching of Plato. Pythagoras did not die for good. He lived on in the statute of Hera. Nor did the wise king, who's he referring to? He's talking about Jesus. Nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on in the teaching which he had given. He doesn't question the reality of Socrates. He doesn't question the reality of, of Plato or Pythagoras. He talks about them like they're real people right alongside a real, literal, historical Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that faith building? When you look at a number of other writers, which I've left out, uh, we could look at Pliny the Younger about how he refers to uh, Christians, uh, Thallus, Flagent, others not listed. There are secular authorities, and they are in abundance, that talk about Jesus as a real, literal, historical person. Isn't that interesting? We're looking secondly this evening as the testimony of Jewish sources. The testimony of Jewish sources. Jews had a commentary based upon the Old Testament scriptures. They call it the Talmud. 
And it's just the commentary that tells them what, uh, what, what's meant by the law of Moses and all those 600 plus laws. And it's explaining how the commandments of Moses are to be carried out. It is, it is a written down oral tradition is what it is. But it was written from the first century all the way to the sixth century. As we look and say, who lived in the first century? Well, Jesus. It was, uh, uh, again, realized that these Jews and the ones who compiled the Talmud were antagonistic towards Christianity, and they want to try and explain away the virgin birth and the disciples of Jesus. But in a, uh, uh, in a Talmud that's uh, from Babylon, it's called the Babylonian Talmud, we find this. I apologize for the, uh, for the formatting. It says, it has been taught on the eve of Passover, they hang Yesu or Joshua or also Jesus. And an announcer went in front of him for 40 days saying he's going to be stoned because he practiced sorcery and enticed uh, Israel to be led astray. Anyone who knows anything in his favor, let him come out and plead on his behalf. But having found nothing in his favor, they hanged him on the eve of the Passover. Note a couple things about this. These are Jewish sources that are writing these things. But note also that they talk about hang. That's another way to say crucify. On the eve, eve over the Passover, absolutely, that agrees historically with John 19 and verse 14. That was when Christ was crucified on that, on that Friday. It affirms absolutely the historicity of Jesus and his death, even if it is a what we know as a skewing of the truth. It affirms the part of the Jewish authorities in his sentencing. But it tries to justify it by saying, well, we looked for a cause. We tried to find witnesses, but there were none. And in truth, that was real, wasn't it? Didn't they have to come and find some people that would stand as false witnesses against Jesus because they didn't have anything that they could throw at him? They didn't have anything that they could accuse him of. Interesting. One of the most well-known of the writers that uh, talks about the Jewish history, but also about Jesus, is a man by the name of Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus was a Jewish aristocrat. He was a non-Christian Jew. And what he did was he actually participated in a rebellion against Rome. He was a politician, a commander of rebel troops in Galilee. And he fought Rome in the first Jewish revolt in AD 66 uh, through 73. Problem was, is that he was captured. <laughs> and as he was captured, it was his life or his, uh, his submission to Rome. He chose submission to Rome. And he spent the rest of his time as kind of a Jewish turncoat, following after the Romans, acting as a translator and as an intermediary between the Jewish sources. But during this time also, he was able to witness and write down the chronicles uh, about how Rome was burned and about uh, how the Jews rebelled and lots of different historical things that are very interesting to us as Christians. There are two works that we're interested in. The first one is the Jewish War, and the second one is Jewish Antiquities. Both of them were written in the first century, but the Antiquities had a passage in it that created a whole lot of heat, I guess, between uh, heated debate among scholars. Note what it says. This is from the, uh, the, the Antiquities. There was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive on the third day, and the divine prophet had foretold these things and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. 
And the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. Note, Josephus doesn't talk about Jesus as a figment. Now, this passage, to be honest, is under scrutiny because you'll note some of the red section that I've highlighted here. Somebody feels like some of Christian source has come along after Josephus and kind of uh, uh, you've done one of those things where you, you add in stuff. But even if it is that those red passages, and those are the ones that are under question, are added in, you can read this passage and still understand that Jesus is a real, literal, historical figure. And there is a non-Christian Jewish source that's confirming that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that wonderfully faith-building? Because we know that Jesus is not just made up. It's not about what Bertrand Russell said and the fact that he said that uh, uh, we, we don't know anything about him. It's in doubt whether or not Christ was ever real. You have pagan sources that confirm it. You have early Jewish sources that also confirm it. Third section we want to look at is the testimony of Christian sources. Testimony of Christian sources. We're looking at what's called the extra-biblical writers. There were Christians, of course, in the first four or five centuries, and we call them uh, post-apostolic writers because they wrote their letters after the apostles. And we can take a look at a number of different early church fathers, as sometimes they're called. There are men such as Clement of Rome, Ignatius, uh, Quadratus, Aristides, Justin Martyr, and so many others that talk about Jesus as a real, literal, historical figure. Question. Just because these people are Christians, why should we discount their testimony because they're not pagans, because they're not Jews, but because these men are writing about Jesus as a real literal historical figure, there are some people that will say, well, they're just not credible. Here's another question. If we look at some of these, uh, what they say, we can take a look at also the biblical writers, the apostolic writers. No, 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 you can't point to the Bible. Now, wait a minute, why not? Why is it that Paul's testimony is any less reliable than Suetonius or Marabarserpian? Why is it that we automatically discount and say, well, you can't trust them because they're from the Bible? Here are eyewitnesses that said things just like what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered that which I, first of all, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, the, he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part are present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. We have the testimony of reliable eyewitnesses that saw Jesus walking around for those 40 days between Passover and Pentecost. Whenever it was that he did and made appearances here on this earth. And we have the testimony of reliable witnesses. The passage Philip read for us just a few moments ago from 1 John 4. Note what John's saying. That which was one from the beginning which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was uh, uh, with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and that which we have heard, we declare to you. 
we proclaim also to you that you may found fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Peter would say, we cannot speak, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. The disciples telling one another, we have seen the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it was never in doubt whether or not Jesus Christ ever actually existed here on this earth. We have all of these primary resources that testify the fact that he was real, that he really was a man and really did live. When we ask these questions in conclusion, here's some questions that I have to wrestle with. Number one, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You only have really three choices. You can look at Jesus and say, he's a liar. He never really spoke anything true. You know what? Everything he did, he did to build himself up in the eyes of men. Everything he did, he spoke, and he spoke dishonestly and deceitfully. If he was truly a liar, you realize he orchestrated one of the greatest hoaxes that mankind's ever known. We sit here 2,000 years later as a result of his hopes if he really was a liar. If it was that the gospel was never intended to quantitatively and qualitatively improve the quality of a person's life and their relationship with God. Who was Jesus? He's a liar. Or the second choice you have is that he's a lunatic. Maybe it was that he just thought that he was the son of God. Maybe it was he wasn't right in the head. Maybe it was that he just hadn't, you know, as my mom used to say, a few screws loose. He left a few groceries at, at the store. And maybe it was that he walked around and he would try and talk to people and say, listen, you've got to believe me, I'm the son of God. But you could look at him and know that he was crazy. And so, again, here we sit looking at a crazy man. But you've got to kind of wonder about passages like what Nicodemus said whenever he came to Jesus by night. In John chapter 3 and verse 2, he said, teacher, we know that you're from God. For no one could do these signs that you do unless God were with him. Jesus is a liar. Jesus is a lunatic. Or the only other choice you have is Jesus is Lord. You cannot deny that Jesus is real. History cannot deny that there is evidence for a historical person called Jesus who claimed to be the Christ. But when I look at it, I realize I've only got three choices. He was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he truly is what he said that he is, and that is Lord of all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. I've got to wrestle with that question. I can't say that he's not real, but I can say he's one of these three things. Here's the second question I've got to wrestle with. What will I do with Jesus? Your life and my life will never be complete until we answer that question. What will you do with Jesus? Are you going to dismiss him as an itinerant Jewish preacher that lived a long, long time ago but doesn't really have anything meaningful to say? Or are you going to look at the evidence not only for who the first century people said he was and how it was that they gave their lives for him, recognizing that he was able to give them exactly what he said that he was going to give them, that is eternal life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The Lord said that. 
And as we look at our lives this evening, and we understand that there is a moral responsibility that each one of us have to submit to the authority of Jesus. Have you done that? If not, why not? You have this opportunity to make your life right as together we stand and sing our invitation song.